salams and welcome. You're listening to the Sacred Footsteps podcast. Sacred Footsteps is an online publication and podcast devoted to alternative and spiritual travel, history and culture from a Muslim perspective. Join us while we talk to writers, historians, artists, as well as a whole host of other people about travel as a spiritual practice. Hello and salams, everybody. Thank you for joining us. This is Omar. I'm joined by our very own Sacred Footsteps team member and contributor, Ali, or Zarar, if you prefer. Ali is a travel writer, poet, and photographer. He is also the author of the recently published In Rap, which is available for purchase on his website. I'm also joined by Alex Reynolds, an American Instagram and travel blogger that goes by the name of Lost With Purpose. Alex has been traveling full-time in the last four years across various parts of Asia, and she presents her experiences and privilege as a solo female traveler with refreshing honesty. So thank you for joining us. Today, our topic of discussion is travel is political and how is travel political? So a little bit of background. Um, I recently published a story um, on my Instagram in response to uh, some of the activities and events that were taking place in India at the time of the protests against the uh, Citizenship Act and the various college campuses that were that were protesting that bill. And that story was also in response to a question that was circulating among many bloggers and Instagram, you know, photographers and influencers talking about whether or not they can be neutral or how is it that they can engage in the politics of the situation of the various countries that they're traveling to. And so, Alex, I'll quickly uh, allow you to kind of explain the background of one of the, the stories that you had posted and the questions that you had raised in that. Yeah, so when all of that stuff was going on in Delhi and in the Northeast, I kind of asked myself, like, clearly there's a lot of misinformation going around. There's a very singular perspective being shared by the Indian news media. I have a lot of Indian followers and obviously international followers. Does it make sense to share about this? And before that point, I had a neutral or non-political stance on my blog and on my social media. Um, it's just complicated sometimes to deal with conflicting opinions of my followers who can be quite vocal at times. But I realized that I had the influence and the power to share this information and kind of share local perspectives on the things that are happening that aren't filtered by news media. And it was actually after having a talk with you and a few other people that I realized I should use this power, um, use my influence to just help share a bit more information than people could access yeah, on TV and on the internet. So I did. And that was the turning point when I realized that travel is indeed political. Right. So how do you think that conversation that you kickstarted in some ways and kind of contributed to was uh, indicative of kind of the, um, I guess, like the conflicting situation that many bloggers and Instagrammers and photographers find themselves in? Um, I mean, a lot of people, bloggers, photographers, YouTubers, whatever, find themselves in a kind of tricky position because obviously our livelihood is dependent on people liking us and people sharing content and just people agreeing with what we're saying a lot of the time. And so politics 
are a sticky business. And once you get into there, you're inevitably going to upset a lot of people with your own perspectives. You're going to upset people who think the travel is not political, people who are privileged enough to have that opinion in the first place. Um, and so, especially in a field of work where the standard is to just kind of be positive and smile all the time and just take it and roll with it. Um, there's a pressure to not talk about these things, but I think as yeah, the understanding of influencers, influencers position in the world kind of evolves and takes more form. We have to ask ourselves these questions and ask what we are doing with our influence. Are we using it to just kind of propagate narcissistic views of ourselves or are we using it to actually help inform people and educate people and just, yeah, bring another perspective to what's going on in the world? Right. So I do want to touch on a lot of the things that you've mentioned, uh, but I, I do want to loop in Ali into the conversation as well. Um, Ali, like you've written a lot on your own website and, you know, you've contributed to various stories and, and created content on travel and Orientalism and critiquing that, but also, you know, uh, challenging the power structures of, of travel industry in many ways, like, you know, these Instagram bloggers, these YouTubers and, you know, photojournalists, uh, award-winning photojournalists, I might add. Um, so how do you think, your journey and engaging with, um, you know, those activities and where you're challenging these personalities uh, is informed by whether it's your own personal politics or whether you feel like it's a responsibility to be honest with the political situation at play. Okay, so the way the position, Omar, that I take is is twofold. Either you critique the institutions that promote a certain narrative of travel, photographers, um view of that land uh, or whether you're propagating the same view over and over again and that's aligned to a certain global international quote-unquote view of that land uh, whether it's socialism or whether it's uh, islamic republic of iran or north korea or you go at an individual level at the photographer on the ground and, and you question you question how they're promoting the people on the ground and, and what lens they're using to look at it so from that point i have the privilege because i don't I don't travel the way Alex travels. I don't rely on this in in a way um, to to have the the goodwill of my followers. I do tend to upset a lot of people, and I've made some some enemies. And so so my my position is a little bit more privileged because I don't have I don't really need to um, um, I guess please everybody. But so Alex is speaking from a very much more on the ground position, and you have to respect that because I think mine is a lot more academic because I do quote um, a lot of academic studies and, and, and people like Edward Said, of course, have influenced the way we view this other rising of people. So that's the position that I've taken. And that recently was caught in that um, campaign that was done to promote Saudi Arabia, which we can go into later. But that was a fascinating example of how you in how you include or exclude politics from travel. So I guess that's a really good question to ask, you know, as people who are traveling, you know, whether it's on a regular basis or like, you know, a full-time basis like Alex or a part-time level like me or maybe you, Ali, I guess the question that we all have to ask is, can you factor politics out of the travel? So I know, Alex, you started by saying that 
you became recently more cognizant and aware of the privileges that you hold. Um, and, you know, you've started taking steps to say, ask yourself how you can extend that privilege into giving people, you know, a platform or uh, helping raise the volume of the other people that are that are speaking, um, oftentimes locals. That is a very conscious decision, you know. So how do you think that intentionality uh, affects the way that you interact with people and how people perceive you? Both of you can answer that question. <laughs> I mean, it makes me much more conscious about what I'm consuming in a country or about a country ahead of time. And it affects how I kind of digest things when I'm on the ground and having discussions. Um, a lot of the time, these politically sensitive countries obviously have one stereotype in the news, but also something I found is that a lot of people are very actively trying to challenge that, sometimes in an honest way and sometimes not in an honest way. And so I found that because I realized that I am in an outside position that's privileged enough to be able to kind of contrast what's in the news and what's on the ground. I have to be more conscious about where I'm getting this information from and how I'm getting it and what perhaps the motives of some of the people that I'm talking to are. Um, we've touched on Saudi Arabia several times at this point, and I was recently there last November and December. And so there you have the interesting situation where this obviously um, ethically dubious government is trying actively to promote a very like open, free image of the country. And so when you're talking to people, obviously you're trying to see what the average person's life on the ground is. But also I met people who were also trying to push that image in the name of the government, in the name of encouraging tourism to their country. And so they also start to present this kind of rosy picture of a country that may or may not be true or may or may not be biased by their own privileges. And so, yeah, I make a more conscious effort to interact with people from varying levels of society just to get a fuller picture of what's going on and be able to corroborate like what different people are telling me about their country. Has that ever created some kind of a, a clash almost where, you know, let's say you interacted with another either local or um, international traveler in the same place as you. And you look afar and you see that there's, you know, very wildly different experiences that either you and this other person are presenting. Um, yes, <laughs> obviously. Um, I've had this clash with locals and foreigners. Um, I've had a clash with locals who are obviously kind of existing in a very isolated um, bubble. And so we have disagreements because I'm out on the ground traveling usually by budget transport and like, yeah, public transport, hitchhiking, whatever, staying in cheap guest houses. And so my experience is usually quite different from privileged English speaking local people who usually are a bit more affluent. And of course, I've had discrepancies and experience with other foreign uh bloggers and vloggers who have a very different experience from mine, maybe because they're sponsored in certain places or because, yeah, the color of skin obviously plays a factor or is a factor in things. Um, I'm a person of color, so my experience is a little bit different from what 
white travelers might experience. Um, and so I don't want to invalidate other people's experiences because everyone has their own perspective and everyone does have their own kind of experience, but it's important to be aware of these things when you're communicating yeah, information and experiences to other people on the internet. Can I ask a follow-up to that, Omar? So Alex, when do you think there's an element of um, people validating their pre-existing expectations or stereotypes of that country? So not necessarily European white-skinned travelers, but you know, you go to a place and you expect it to be that way. So you you don't really break out of that zone, you know. So you stay within a mile of your hotel, you go to the same places, you come back and you you post it on Instagram. And you don't really explore that. So when people like you who do go on the ground, who do travel throughout the land using different ways of, of transportation, you you kind of, I guess, go in with that approach of, well, it might be different. From my experiences, I've met a lot of European, American, Canadian, whatever, travelers in, in faraway lands, and they're very hesitant to 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 explore something outside of TripAdvisor or outside of Lonely Planet. They they don't particularly want the debates or conversations that shatter an image. For, and, and, and I've had many arguments where I've tried to prove and say, well, I, I can, if you come with me for tea, I can show you something different or go come to the mosque with me and I can show you why women are not oppressed, for example. And it doesn't really work. Do you, do you think that's an element of people just don't want the mold to, to be shifting? I absolutely think that's an element. I think it takes a certain kind of person or motivation to want to challenge yourself, to step out and just ask questions and let the world wash over you and see what happens. Um, I think most people are not truly interested in learning something new. I think they're there to have like a fun experience and to see something beautiful or eat something tasty and then just take that and go home and show it to their family and friends. Um, yeah, there's an element of curiosity, like deeper curiosity that I think a lot of people don't have also because, yeah, a lot of these people are on holiday. They just want to go somewhere and have an easy experience and asking these questions and trying to learn a bit more about the complexities of a country requires much more motivation. That's a really good point. Um, I think one thing that I want to kind of like, you know, uh, ask is in your gut instinct, like you know, in all of both you and Ali, um, in your travels, what was one of what was one country or place that you were on the you know about to visit or preparing to visit, and you just had like this feeling that like you know you're going into a potentially politically sensitive area or a risky area or you know even dangerous area, like. What was one of the what was one of the key examples that stood out for you? Um, well, I'll take it. Uh, I went to Afghanistan in 2016, and so yeah, we all know about the risks and the war that's going on in Afghanistan, and just the kind of constant threat of violence or kidnapping or something like that. And so there is a bit tricky because you want to go in and have all of your stereotypes challenged, but on the at the same time, you have to kind of use those as a reminder or like reason to be careful in the country. You want to have your mind open and be like, yeah, it's not as violent or miserable as people make it out to be. But at the same time, you do have to be careful and be cautious. And also 
and the sharing of travel information after that trip, I had to be really cautious with what I'm encouraging people with and balancing inspiration with caution and understanding. That's an interesting point because sometimes maybe those stereotypes are true and you don't necessarily need to break them. But the the issue is how how layered are the stereotypes because alongside some of the true negative stereotypes you may have others which are less known so it's not it's just not you know you go into 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 say look i'm going to break the stereotypes and show you something that doesn't exist sometimes those things do exist and 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 the journey more is more about showing showing things that maybe need more exaggeration or magnification and and that thing and things don't necessarily become become rosier for for people who who don't go so for my example you know, I it's easy to talk about Iran because Iran is is on the news constantly. Did you before you went to Iran? Did you feel like you're about to step into a position or a situation which could be risky for you? No, not necessarily. Being you know being brown and being Muslim, I've I've learned through my travels that I'm and also being being a man, um, the risks that I face are drastically different. To, to to certain other travelers. So I with Iran, no, um, not at all. Um, but, you know, with, with Iran, it's interesting because unlike governments like uh, like Saudi Arabia or even if you go to North Korea, where I haven't been, so I can't talk about it, but you, you, you want to break the view that the con- everything is okay, but in Iran, it's exactly the opposite. And in Iran, I have never met a people who are more honest about criticizing their government and so when you know you you oddly enough end up playing the devil's advocate and and debating on the side of the government in certain positions and this is where politics really comes in for me because i do avoid politics as much as i can unless unless i feel like there's really an interesting discourse where i'll i'll learn something because otherwise you just go back in circles and we know how that that goes but for me i guess t- to give my example of where i felt a little bit, you know, afraid maybe um, was was Lebanon. I I went to Lebanon just at the at the height of the Syrian war, and I knew things were shaky, but I didn't know how bad they were. So Beirut is fine, you know. Beirut they have occasional bombing, but it's typically south of Beirut, so I knew not to go to the south. And then I made the mistake of um, of traveling to the north of of Lebanon to Tripoli. And I didn't realize how much sectarian violence and tension there was. And I knew about Hezbollah and I knew about the the opposing sides too. And I was followed in, in Tripoli um, by various different parties and people. And, and you find them over your shoulder. You're praying and you end up next to them, you know, and, and people, and people ask you and, and being, being a man, then you're in that unique position where you are seen as a combatant, potentially, you know, a threat in some respect as a foreigner. And, and I, you know, you, you get asked, you know, what is your name? Where are you from? What do you do? And you try and smile and you try and make things as relaxed as you can be. But as soon as I left Tripoli, you realize the tension is leaving. And then the same day I went to Sudan, south of Lebanon, which is a Sunni majority uh, region. So Tripoli was, was Shia. Um, and then you get asked the exact same questions from the opposing side. You know, are you are you Shia or are you Sunni? I have never had that experience where there was a where there was a there was almost a burden with that answer. You know, you get asked curious, curious. You know, some people ask you out of curiosity, 
and you answer but in in Lebanon uh, I I was excited to leave because you you really did feel like your answer could get you in some trouble and soon after I left that's when the ma- the mass exodus began of Syrians into Lebanon and being a foreigner and and being um, brown does does put you in some situations which is odd because Iran is shown as you know promoter of many things but it's not that bad right i want to transition into a question that you know i've struggled with forever so my first time traveling outside of a family vacation which were already few and far in between <laughs> um was in second year university i believe or third year, third year university um when i accepted a two a two week to uh, sorry a one month program to attend the Hebrew University of Jerusalem um as part of a you know one one month course uh in partnership with the University of Toronto so when i did that course and when i got accepted you know there were already really um contentious times um people obviously have very strong opinions relating to the Palestinian Israeli uh crisis and i myself was very pro palestinian am still very pro pro palestinian so it was really hard for me to justify to myself and to other people why i'm accepting this offer from um from an from an israeli institution uh and you know kind of like validating and recognizing this authority and so my response at the time because i was very young and you know not didn't know any better was that i wanted to go and do the shortest amount of stint in terms of the course the course was only 2 weeks but i was going to be there for a full month and my friends and i wanted to uh use that opportunity to go and spend time with palestinian people and learn about the cause and learn about what's happening on the ground and all of these you know really like understand the struggle and something that i struggled with was you know deciding where to spend money and i felt like that was enough of a deciding factor to let people know what my political situation what my political leanings were that i was going to make a conscious effort to not spend money on israeli institutions and uh and support israeli commerce and you know their their business owners and etc cetera, etc cetera. but i didn't realize how difficult that was going to be obviously because you're you're going to a situation where the occupation is like so ingrained that you know you, you it's really difficult to kind of like step away and even to cross the checkpoints into into palestine could be on some days really really difficult so do you think that that intention you know and those actions and deliberate steps that you take to um you know make known what your political positions are make some kind of a difference Do you think that intention matters at the end of the day and like what actions you take are really impacting the the greater politics at play? I mean, I think there's a power in showing that you're trying to do something even if you don't necessarily succeed. So just the fact that you were making a concerted effort to only spend money at Palestinian institutions matters because it shows people that you're thinking about these things and you're trying to apply your political leanings to the situation and trying to travel in a more ethical way despite being in a questionable country um i had the same in saudi arabia when i was there uh 
obviously no one really condones what the Saudi Arabian government is doing. Um, mm-hmm. And so it's a kind of constant game of I'm in this country that is responsible for a lot of horrible things, both human rights related and war related. How can I make sure that my travels are connecting with the actual people while distancing myself from the government wherever I can? And so, yeah, that's just a matter of talking to people, um, staying with local businesses, not the big like royal family owned establishments um, and just being clear about that whole process, like my selection process, what I was trying to avoid, what I disagree with, what I don't, mm-hmm. and my social media and blog posts about it. I think transparency is what matters the most in these situations and just showing that people are thinking about it. So you're essentially saying that choice does matter? Oh, choice absolutely matters. Yeah. Controversial question, Alex. <laughs> is, this, is, this, is this mostly, is this because of your own decision? as a political uh, ideology or is this um, the perception that your followers may have of you? Because sometimes you don't necessarily want that. You don't want that hate mail. You don't want those people messaging, claiming you're this and that. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah. You mean like, am I showing this kind of aspect of my travels to escape criticism? You mean? Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I've raised my hand. I do that because sometimes Sometimes you just don't need that that much pain in in your everyday life because something you may consider to be relatively small or insignificant can really press the wrong buttons with a lot of people. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's quite easy to upset people on the internet, um, even when you're not doing anything. But Mm -hmm. no, I think that that's one of the hard parts about all this is that if you're going to do, if you're going to travel to these places and share about it, you're going to get backlash anyway. So mm-hmm. I think it's the responsible thing to do is just show that you're making these efforts and having these thoughts to try and inspire other people to travel that consciously. And if it backfires, then so be it. That's what the block button is for sometimes. So Ali, um, I want to ask you because um, you know you you've taken uh, tourists with you on tours to Iran. How do you think those people that you know joined you? Um, what were the patterns that you found? Or did you find any patterns uh, among the, I guess, like the ideological uh, foundations of who these people were, let's say, or like, you know, what their political opinions were? Did you feel like you attracted a a pretty typical kind of uh, traveler who would want to go to Iran with you? Or did you feel like surprised by the the types of guests that attended? Yeah, I I wasn't surprised. I think think when you go to places like Iran or, you know, you've been to Cuba and you can touch on this, you you end up you end up aligning in certain ways to people who, who you meet on the road or people who do want to join you. So I wasn't surprised. And and the other thing to add to this as an as, as another layer is you don't you always do take a political position. So if you if you do go to Saudi Arabia or you go to India or you go to Palestine or Israel there's a you know there's a there's a wider adoption adoption of a, of a view ideologically you know, everyone is pro palestinian mostly in our you know demographic that we hang out with in our circles if you look at if you look at you know saudi arabia i think people would agree with what alex was saying you know there's a there's a certain wave that we will ride the same is true of iran um in in some respects but you get the exact opposite at the same time. So with my tours that I've done, I, I found most people were 
um, curious about Iran, but not necessarily supporting the government, more the, I, I guess, the, the concept of resisting foreign involvement doesn't make you in support of the government. And, and that distinction is really important because because when you meet Iranians on the ground and you know they're ready to tell you about their problems and and how much the revolution in Iran has caused them dismay and and you know and then you and then you stand there with your tour, tour bus of people and you and you were talking about no but the revolution was inspiring it's inspired the young people it's it's anti west it's you know it's it's anti capitalist these people just don't understand and they're they they almost think supporting the revolution or the government. By these people, do you mean the guests or the locals no, that you were the interacting local, with? The people. Yeah, okay. yeah. So there's a there's a it's it's unfortunately really complicated in a place like Iran because because foreigners do go in with a with an exception, uh, with an expectation that we you know invariably we're supporting the revolution. And the same thing is true in Cuba, as you you probably know. You you go because you read about the the, the socialism or the or the heroes of the revolutions, and you go in thinking, I'm going to go see this place. I'm going to go see how they're doing this with sanctions. These people are heroes, and you get there, and people are just they just don't agree with you. But but you don't support the government either. You're you're stuck in the middle where you're trying to grasp with you know your own experience in the West with That's, what these people are experiencing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a really good point. I mean, like speaking from personal experience, when I went to Cuba, I was, you know, super keen on not doing the typical Canadian and tourist experience, which is, you know, pretty much going to an all-inclusive resort and never leaving your resort. And it's usually that resort is either in Vardero or in rare cases, it might be in uh you know, east the eastern part of the country, like Huatulco, or no, not Huatulco, sorry. Um, oh my God, I can't remember the name right now. Um, but I was pretty keen on not having that experience. So I flew into Vardero and immediately left to go to Havana. And I stayed in a, uh, in a casa with a local family. And, you know, they were very welcoming. And I would have breakfast with them every day. I would have dinner with them some nights. And, you know, it was a very like homey kind of feeling. And so my experience talking to locals, I was like, oh, wow, you have free healthcare, you have free education. Uh, Everyone is guaranteed a minimum sort of income. Like, you know, what's up? Like, how's, uh, how's that benefiting you? And for many people, obviously, you know, they're privy to their day-to-day um, ups and downs of the of the politics at play. So yeah, you know, there were a lot of people that were frustrated that they're like, why am why can I make more money as a taxi driver than I can as a doctor? And so you don't have to you don't think about those questions until you're in on the ground and talking to people. So that was a that was a huge turning point for me because I felt that um, the the preconceived notions that I brought to Cuba, where like I was reading, you know, learning about Simon, Simon Bolivar or um, the the revolutionaries, I was, I get that it wasn't black and white, but I didn't. You don't know what you don't know. So until you start talking to people, you're not going to really understand the complexities at play. Did you find that you were? You were plastering certain expectations on the locals, you know. You absolutely, to say, and and these people are like, stop, stop doing this. Oh, we're, we're not absolutely. We're not, yeah, 
Absolutely. And like, you know, it's not just like people who are economically frustrated. Obviously, there's a lot of social marginalization just as much. I mean, not just as much, but a different kind of social marginalization in Cuba. Just because socialism says that like everyone is equal, it doesn't mean that everyone is equal. There are a lot of social politics at play. So I want to throw that question to you guys as well. Like Alex, you know, you spending so much time in Pakistan, for example. I mean, as a Pakistani, I know from afar and when I go and visit that like there are there is a lot of um, complexity and gray in terms of understanding the nuances of a political situation or the social marginalization, especially for women and uh, women of religious minorities, for example. But how do you think when you're there, how do you get confronted to those new uh, get confronted by those nuances? Like, has there been ever any instance where you thought something and then you were completely disproven by somebody who's from a marginalized point of um, who's coming from a marginalized perspective? Um, all the time, because, you know, it's such a diverse country and there are so many layers to the social strata that people's experiences are vastly different. Um, and so, for example, like the first time I went or in the first times that I went, you have this preconceived notion of how women are in the country that is to say subjugated, silenced, invisible, whatever. And then you meet like quite liberal women in cities and they're like, yeah, it's not all this. We can go around and do this and that. And we go out and like have parties and have fun. You say, okay, that's really curious actually. Huh, I didn't know that. Maybe I'm all wrong. Maybe I'm just drinking the Nat Geo Kool-Aid or something. Um, and then Conversely, you travel to. You can take that phrase if you want, (laughs) but um, yeah, and then you go to more rural areas where you might meet women from just like quite poor women because of the nature of where they are, or for example, like the Kalasha girls, who are often subject to conversions now just out of necessity a lot of the time, or social pressures, or yeah, for whatever reason, and so they provide a completely different perspective on the state of women in the country. And it's all very dependent on like who you're talking to and how, and a lot of them are all quite ignorant of what each other go through because there's so much separation between people of the different regions. So as a, as a solo female traveler uh, and somebody also who's been socialized in the West, um, do you, do you find it challenging applying, um, you know, Western concepts of feminism and into an Asian context? And what kind of steps have you taken to kind of reconcile that? Yeah, definitely. Um, Because the things that Western women kind of fixate on as signs of feminism are quite different from what would be considered feminism in, say, Pakistan. Um, I it causes me to pick and choose my battles a little bit because I can't just run around Pakistan in shorts, burning bras saying like everyone, I can do what I want. Um, So for example, Western women always fixate on clothing and just like the way women are presented in the country. Um, But clothing is such a trivial matter compared to other kinds of access and freedoms, like access to education, freedom to make decisions about like big life decisions Um, just freedom of movement and existence in public spaces. And so, for example, I don't really care about clothes. I think clothes don't really matter. I'll just wear the local clothes. I'd prefer that Mm -hmm. discussions about what women can and cannot do move away from clothing. For example, it's Trixie because I go out 
and expect to be able to move around freely and operate on my own and not have anyone inhibit me. But that's not the norm for a lot of people. And so I have myself in situations quite often where I want to go out and do something and a friend or a host might want to stop me just because of their notions of it's dangerous and it's not okay. And yeah, it's not safe for women to do this thing. And so I'm kind of at a cultural crossroads where I want to push because that's what my Western upbringing has taught me. Just take it and do what you want. But simultaneously, I'm operating in someone else's culture and kind of pushing it to the side for my own expectations. And sometimes it's okay. Like, for example, I decided, yeah, I want to ride a motorbike around and a million people have opposed me. But it's my life. It's my freedom. It's my money on the motorbike. So Mm -hmm. you can't stop me. But then at other times, if someone is really uncomfortable with me going to a space just because women traditionally don't go there. Not so much like a Daba situation, but maybe, I don't know, like a men-only area. Yes, I know other travelers who would say, I'm going to do it anyway because it's my right as a woman to do what I want and go where I please and men can't stop me. But I do think there's limitations to what you should expect and what you should do, especially because you're a guest in someone else's culture. Right. So I guess what you're saying is that there is no like uniform approach it's on a case-by-case basis where you kind of evaluate and pick and choose your battles yeah you kind of have to think about what you want the discussion to be about and what is actually important and what is just something that doesn't actually affect you that much and you can alter um ali as uh again i want to take take you back to the iran tour that you ran um the women that were a part of your tour group what were their perspectives um on uh, the status of women in Iran and like, how did they kind of, did they, did they ask any questions relating to that? Did any situation arise where you were in a position where you had to kind of, it's you know, a, intervene? A tricky, a tricky question to answer because I'm, I'm not speaking on behalf of people. So I'll, I'll, I'll explain that in, 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 in a way which hopefully doesn't offend anybody listening because I'm aware that some of those people might be listening to this podcast who were on the tour with me. So, sure. In in terms of my so my experiences are different. I the most often uh, the most the question most often put to me is how safe is Iran um, for a for a woman to be traveling alone, and that question oddly enough, believe it or not, is never asked by a man. So it's you know there's there's a, there's a <laughs> sense of there's a sense of is it safe for me, and and my answer has always has been and this is not based on this idealistic view that look Iran is safe it's calm mm-hmm. calm calm it's fine it's it's from being on the ground and having met young european females who are traveling alone living there studying there who've who've broken my own perception because as a muslim typically if you go to the middle east i would never encourage you as a as a as a young european tourist to go alone because you know i know unfortunately what the communities are like in certain countries so with Iran, my my view was the same: don't go alone. And mm. on, oddly enough, my perceptions, as I said, were broken by by uh, European females who were living in Iran. They said, "Look, we've done this for so long; it's fine. You can do it too." So when I set the tour up, my approach was: I'll share my experiences with a caveat that this is this is you know anecdotal evidence. My experiences differ from yours. If you were the tour, it's it's different. So from the people who were on the tour. You know, they were not all Muslim, and I think that's an important distinction to make because 
if you if you're going to an Islamic Republic and and Iran is a very you know it's a very iconic Islamic country it doesn't hide the fact that it's very very Islamic if you if you go to Pakistan for example it's it's more cultural I would argue than it is in your face so I was curious how a non-muslim would feel Iran um, uh, view Iran as and and the, and, the, and the viewers were pretty were pretty you know not not surprisingly they were they were pretty open they said it feels fine we feel welcome but the 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 distinction or the or the comfort I, I think drops when you enter the debate of the position of women in in places of worship and society, and then that's when you end up with debates around what is acceptable. Because Alex's point was 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 quite interesting about you know what is feminism to you versus what is feminism to someone in Pakistan. You know if you turn that around and say if if you if you imagine an Iranian woman in in a chador. Walking around Mayfair and expecting the woman to 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 do what she's doing, it just would cause such uproar. But yet, we we have to accept the fact that we in the East and and we meaning you know I'm not representing people, but if I if I can for a second, we we have to put a certain you know um, a parade on for 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 look. You have to you have to you have to debate people and say look, women here have the right to work and and vote and drive, and and I find that that. Like Alex said, it's such a trivial way in some in some ways of explaining freedom because, in reality, the freedom goes deeper than that. And on a visual level, people were upset when they saw women wearing chador, when they saw young girls wearing head to toe coverings, and it shocks people. And then it becomes, you know, it becomes ingrained in their memory of like I went to Iran, I saw young girls wearing these forced, um, you know, adornments. And 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 they leave with that, but I tried with some individuals on my tours to to really push, and and debate through examples, through experiences. Um, did it get through to them? I don't I don't know. I hope it did. Alex, what was your experience in Iran as a as a female traveler? Um, Iran was interesting because that was one of the first places where I really encountered quite aggressive male harassment. Um, in my travels, I'd been harassed in different places before, but Iran was the first place where I was constantly confronted by men being a bit intense and coming on to me or filming me or touching me. Um, so that was one important aspect that was interesting to think about while Ali was making his point. Um, you just disagreed but, with me. This isn't going to work, Alex. <laughs> yeah, we're done. It's over. <laughs> oh, I don't is, like you but anyway. Is, but this no, is so but, interesting, right? Because yeah. because. You, that experience is vastly different to mine, and I would never know that. So, yeah. sorry, go on. That's well, what, yeah, that was something I was interested to ask, like how actively you seek out kind of the experiences of people who can better answer these questions, not like in an accusatory sense, but more just because you said that you were asking around to women who are living there. And I've, from the majority of solo female travelers that I've spoken to about Iran, they all mm-hmm. had bad experiences quite often. Many of right. them still enjoyed it anyway and would recommend right. that people go, but almost all of them had really terrible experiences. Uh, it's like a lived experience thing, right? Like essentially what you're saying, Alex, is that it doesn't take away from, I mean, I don't want to put words into your mouth, but correct me if I'm wrong. You're essentially saying that you can't take away the lived experiences of uh, the country that you're traveling to. So like the harassment is real, but so are the history and architecture. And like you, you can find as many reasons to go as as you can for not going. 
Yeah, it's exactly. Few, okay. Yeah, if the pros outweigh the cons, then it's fine. That's right. just something that's a person-to-person basis. That's why you just tell people before they're coming, yeah, this is a possibility. If that would affect your trip and affects how much you enjoy something, think mm-hmm. hard about coming. That's what I tell for women in all kinds of countries where this might happen. Right. Um, but on the kind of experiencing women and as they are in Iran, I was quite surprised when I went to Iran because obviously I was aware of the forced hijab and that women wear chador and I wasn't quite sure what to think because again, clothing is just one aspect of it. Um, but you don't really hear that much about other aspects of women's lives. And so I was quite impressed to see just like how highly educated everyone in Iran was. Um, all of the women that I met were quite bold and they just looked like meek and modest. But the second you start talking to them, they're all like firebrands and are willing to do anything and quite vocal and ballsy with how they act. I guess I shouldn't use that to talk about how women do things, but um, yeah. And so that was a, that was the first time I'd had a very like strong stereotype impressed into me by the news that was totally challenged when I went to the country and saw what things were like on the ground. Um, Mm -hmm. And so that was something that was interesting to try to convey to people outside the country, because on the one hand, there are still kind of some Mm -hmm. restrictions on how women can operate and officials are definitely trying to restrict women in some ways. But on the other Mm -hmm. hand, women are not at all the kind of silent meek beings that the news portrays them to be. So, so I want to start bringing the conversation to some kind of a close because we've we've been through so many things right now. Like you know, we've we've covered intentions, we've covered personal experiences on uh, traveling to politically sensitive areas, we've covered uh, the solo female traveler experience um, and the politics at play in that kind of a context. What I want to kind of touch upon is before we wrap up is this question of neutrality. And I know that we began this conversation by saying that neutrality is not, um, it's mostly a fallacy. <laughs> so I want to, I want to try to kind of hone in on that. The reason why I was really prompted by this discussion was because for me as a Pakistani with, with, you know, roots in India, when I went to India, I felt like, so many conflicting, uh, you know, feelings that, first of all, I didn't, I have, as a Pakistani growing up in, in the West, I have traveled more in India than I have in Pakistan. So, to, you know, like even, and then also having lived in Bangladesh and traveled there more frequently uh, for a longer period of time than in Pakistan, all of those politics just kind of like, you know, mess with your head. And so I, I felt immediately very lonely that I was like, oh, I feel like not many people can relate to the to the situation that I'm in. And so I wanted to kind of start, you know, looking at more broader conversations that other people could, uh, you know, touch on, like the politics, for example, or... Um, like economic disparities, social marginalization, right? Status of women. I wanted to kind of like divert that conversation away from me and make it more so about the countries and the places. But in doing so, I realized that it was impossible for me to be neutral and to, you know, completely scrap away and do away with my socialization as 
uh, as a Pakistani. And I don't claim to be very patriotic. Actually, I'm not very patriotic at all. I'm very critical of Pakistan. But it, especially watching the Kashmir situation unfold and then the citizenship bill, it was really hard for me to pretend to be neutral. So I want to pose, those, pose that question to both of you as well. How do you how do you challenge the urge to be neutral? Like, do you feel like you owe neutrality, or do you think that it's it's just and right to be uh, to take a stance? I mean, something that I grapple with with neutrality versus not is that I. I am not a politician. I'm not a diplomat. I haven't studied political science. I'm not as up to date with situations as people commenting on them are. And so one of the things that held me back before deciding to reveal my political like um, sightings and intentions is that I just didn't feel qualified to share this kind of information. Like I'm a travel blogger. I'm just a person on Instagram sharing pretty photos a lot of the time. And so, yeah, it's a really big hurdle to get over. Like what makes you more qualified or qualified at all to comment on these things? Because it's very easy for us to say that, yeah, travel is political and you shouldn't hide it. But then on the other hand, if someone who has no idea what they're talking about goes forth and says like, yeah, I think this just because that's how I see it. And I've been there. So I know, and it's okay. That can also be quite dangerous. You right. see it with people when they're going to like North Korea, for example, and then they're quite vocal about the fact that they went to North Korea, but then they fall on the side of, I saw things that were fine. So like, it must be fine. And you all don't know because you've never been there. And so it's a really <laughs> slippery slope right. that you can go down if not done correctly. And so that kind of encourage my reticence to be openly political because I could easily fall into the same trap. Right. Ali, how about you? So let me, yeah. Do you think travel is political, Omar? Because I would, based on what Alex has said, is an interesting point because are we forcing people to take travel, um, um, view travel as political in some situations? Some people are not informed enough. No, of course. And we're implying that just by visiting and spending money, you're taking a, mm-hmm. a default position right it's, it's, it's a dangerous i think um premise to to add, to end on and so mm-hmm. that was a rhetorical question i'll i'll, I'll let you answer that in a second <laughs> uh, what, I, what i mean to say is you know further on that the, the point is um this this aspiration to be neutral i think it's quite problematic because what is you know it's it's such a western paradigm right you know you seek neutrality because apparently that's the place to be and constantly um you know i meet people who claim they don't have any accents because you know they're they're either english or they're american and you know they're absolutely neutral and as if as if as if that makes you better than everybody else you know? just being neutral makes you better than anything else and 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 i think that's a again a dangerous position just to take because I think I think you are by default on one side or the other, um, and and I think you do make a decision but, at some point, right? But I think uh, maybe I should be more specific about the question. I feel like it's okay if you don't know the political situation at play, right? Like I, I may have had a degree, but like that doesn't mean anything, right? I may be reading news, but it doesn't mean anything. I think what I'm trying to decipher is or unearth maybe is like, 
is there how much does your intention allow you to um you know actually take a stance and formulate a position because just because you know uh i know you were asking rhetorically but i know you're i know you're right that like no, travel isn't political for everybody some people just want to go on a vacation and that's fine too there's nothing like i'm i'm definitely not projecting some kind of a judgment i just i just feel what what i'm struggling with i guess is like why why, why do we owe neutrality like why do we feel like we owe neutrality is that what social media is doing or is it like you know an act that we're trying to put on like that's my question like where is that where is that push and drive for neutrality coming from i mean neutrality is just easy you don't have to form opinions you don't have to comment on things you don't have to be educated neutrality is just non-action and so that's much more ideal than having these like drastic political stances and being vocal about it um, or even the question struggling. i wanted to like add on to yours is is it okay if you're just interested in going on a holiday like when do you think travel has to be political or is political versus not cuz mm, yeah we're saying right. you said that it's okay to go on a holiday but if i just go on a casual holiday to whatever north korea or iran or saudi arabia and just show a bunch of pictures and say nothing is that okay oh no and i mean like you know it doesn't even have to be that drastic like let's factor in you know i mean i don't want to get carried away but if we're talking from a climate change perspective i work in climate change and environment so for me air travel itself is problematic so you can't you know even the act of getting on a plane for me could be political so of course what you're saying there's so much uh there's so many questions latched onto it because what it, we don't know what the parameters of the word p big p politics is right like we don't it could be different for so many people I so remember yeah you're speaking about this um we said how is it privileged in some sense to be neutral or not mm-hmm. to even you don't have a political view because um, to people who are political, who are forced to take political positions, either out mm-hmm. of life situation, social, or whether refugees, to to tell to tell a Syrian refugee that you know you're apolitical, and or to tell a Palestinian you're apolitical and you're just going to go to Tel Aviv and and hang out at the beach. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's it's a very problematic position to someone who is invested in that culture or that land. And to that person, it appears to be a privilege to say, you're going to a beach vacation. You're not going to look at the slums and, and the ghettos. You won't see the oppression of the people. It's a privilege that you can stay at a five-star hotel and you can just come back without being involved in the checkpoints, being involved in um, worrying about, you know, safety of family members um, in, in that land. And and that is a privilege. So there's an element of, you know, you. you I, I think you have to take some blame and say if you if you're able to be privileged enough to be neutral, and it is a privilege mm-hmm. in my opinion. Um, you should be able to listen to the the other voice, which which right. don't categorize you as privilege. And if you can accept that privilege, I think you can make peace with yourself because it definitely is a privilege for us in the West to go to Iran and go to Cuba and to go to India and to go to North Korea and come mm-hmm. back and have these discussions because none of us, I hope not, have, have people or family who are in, in harm's way because, because you know, we can be um, apolitical. I hope not. Wow. 
Well, thank you so much, you guys. When I had decided to do this episode, I was hesitant that people might expect uh, some kind of answers from this discussion. But my real intention was just to raise more questions. <laughs> and I think we've I managed mean, to do that. <laughs> I think there was an answer there. I think Ali made a really good point that yeah. it's about the intention or willingness to listen to people. Not everyone has to realize how political everything is or have a good understanding of it. Absolutely. But as long as you go in with an open mind and are actually willing to acknowledge that you have no idea and you're privileged, mm -hmm. then you're already solving a problem there in some ways. And so that's kind of an answer. I'm I stand corrected. <laughs> I stand corrected. Uh, but I really appreciate the time that both of you guys took uh, to join the, the discussion. And, um, you know, thanks a lot. Safe travels. Thanks for having us. Thank you for listening. All of the links mentioned can be found in our show notes. We're on Twitter as S Footsteps and everywhere else on social media as Sacred Footsteps. <laughs>